Good evening, hushlings, and welcome. I present your preceptors to the underbelly of the void, the whispers of conjecture, and the known of the unknown. Thus begins the conclave of the Hush Hush Society. Greetings, hushlings. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike. And as always, we're joined by our chum, Slick Frank Sanders. Hey guys, how you doing? Mike, Dave, what's up? Hey buddy. What's going on, man? Welcome back to the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. Welcome back, Hushlings. <laughs> <laughs> Last week, we covered Majestic 12 in our 007 debriefing. That was a pretty fun one, guys. What do you think? Yeah, I would say that was that was our first out-of-this-world episode. Everything that we had done up until then was based around scandal and ridiculous government conspiracy, and now we're on the other side of the universe. We opening up some doors. Things with a lot of weight, and now we're floating. This week on the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour, for debriefing number eight, we are talking about the Zeta Reticuli incident. But before we get into all that, we want to remind everyone that we're on all social media, and you can find us on Facebook Instagram, and Twitter. You can also go over to our YouTube channel and subscribe over there to hear all the audio from every single episode that we put up. Also, another reminder that November 9th is just around the corner, and that is the date of our live show. We'll be live in video. We will be live in audio. Stay tuned for all the details of where you can find that live show and how you can tune in and watch along. Make sure you send us all your research, your topics, anything that you want us to cover, any questions that you may have about previous debriefings or things that you want us to take on in the future. You can email those over to hushhushsociety at planetmail.com. And Hushlings, don't forget about our new Instagram, Hush Hush Apparel, the official merchandise store of the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. Be on the lookout for new designs and merchandise soon. David, could it possibly be by November 9th that we could have official Hush Drip? There could be, as Frank said, dapper drip soon. (laughs) Dude, hella moist with the drip. The Zeta Reticuli incident covers the story of Betty and Barney Hill. They were an American couple who claimed they were abducted by extraterrestrials in a rural portion of the state of New Hampshire from September 19th to September 20th, 1961. It was the first widely publicized report of an alien abduction in the United States. The incident came to be called the Hill Abduction and the Zeta Reticuli Incident because the aliens who abducted them had claimed to be from the Zeta Reticuli system. I don't think that many people know about the Zeta Reticuli system. It's one of those things that's become synonymous because of the Hill Abduction, but maybe we don't know enough about it. That could be the case, but I've been fond of alien researchy type stuff since I was pretty young, and the Barney and Betty Hill scenario is one of the first I had ever learned about, and I wasn't aware of the whole Zeta Reticuli portion of it until recently, honestly. I've been into astronomy since I was a kid too, and Zeta Reticuli was something I knew about. The Betty Barney Hill thing I had heard of as well. So for those of you that haven't gotten into astronomy, Zeta Reticuli is a wide binary star system, meaning two stars, in the southern constellation of Reticulum. It is seen from the southern hemisphere, and the pair can be seen with the naked eye as a double star system in very, very dark skies. 
The system is located at a distance of about 39.3 light years, which is 12 parsecs from Earth. Hey, that's like the Millennium Falcon. Hitting castle runs and shit. <laughs> castle runs. Do you think that maybe George Lucas added the 12 parsec? Could be very possible. George Lucas in 1961, he was, what, probably a teenager, right? Yeah. So, possible. Both of the stars in the Zeta Reticuli star system are solar analogs that have characteristics similar to those of our sun. And they also belong to the Zeta Hercules moving group of stars that share a common origin. They're pretty far away. <laughs> <laughs> Putting it bluntly, they're pretty far away. <laughs> Betty and Barney Hill were an interracial couple from Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Barney was a United States postal worker, and Betty was a social worker. They were both active in a Unitarian church, and they were members of the NAACP and community leaders within the local board of the United States Commission of Civil Rights. Let's get into what actually happened to the Hills. According to their reports, the alleged UFO sighting and abduction happened on September 19, 1961, around 10.30 p.m. The Hills were driving back to Portsmouth from a vacation in Niagara Falls and Montreal. Just south of Lancaster, New Hampshire, Betty claimed to observe a bright point of light in the sky move below the moon and the planet Jupiter. While Barney was driving down U.S. Route 3, Betty thought that she was observing a falling star, only it moved up. Since it moved around erratically and grew bigger and brighter, Betty urged Barney to stop the car for a closer look, as well as walk their dog, Delcy. It was a little wiener dog. I've seen pictures. Okay, so here's the thing about the dog, right? Throughout all of my research, I have found nothing about the dog being abducted or nothing about the dog being left in the car. Did the dog also get abducted or did they leave it in the car with all of the windows up? <laughs> what happened? <laughs> all of the windows up? Why did the windows have to be up? Because if somebody says leave a dog in the car, I just imagine the, the windows being up. <laughs> You know, because everybody gets all angry about that. It's, I don't I, I don't think they got angry at that in the 60s. I like to think that the dog was also abducted. I'm eager to find out what Delcy's account of the abduction I was. I really hope that Delcy has some hypnotism like Betty and Barney Hill done to him, because that would be fantastic <laughs> to know. They better not have hurt that dog, dude. As long as it's translated into rough roughs and woof woofs, you know, like, it's... <laughs> it's <laughs> Delzy had to piddle puddle, so Barney stopped at a scenic picnic area just south of Twin Mountain. Meanwhile, Betty looked through her binoculars and observed this odd-shaped craft flashing many colors as it traveled across the face of the moon. Looking at this account, the one question that I kept thinking about and I kept thinking about is, who travels with binoculars? I was just going to say that, but it is the 60s. Like, I know, I, maybe it's just me and I have no use for binoculars besides the ones that are in my room that look out directly across the street at this, uh... Anyways, but I just I just wonder, is it so common to have a pair of binoculars in your car? It, it's the 60s, so we, we can't say, and I'm not going to lie to you, I'm going to be completely frank. I've been on the verge of buying a pair of binoculars for the past two years, but they're kind of expensive. I'm not going to lie. Whatever, Frank. I have no need for them. But I, I hey. think in the account that it's the 60s, and I think my 
dad in the 90s even still had a pair of binoculars underneath the seat of his car. And I mean, I guess being in rural New England, maybe you have a use for it. I can't see that snowplow from all the way down here. Let me go look down through my binoculars. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they did a lot of sightseeing or bird watching. Yeah, could be. Go look at a moose. Barney observed what he reasoned was a commercial airliner traveling from Vermont to Montreal. However, he soon changed his mind because the craft rapidly descended in his direction. And I don't think flying from Vermont to Montreal, a 747, whatever was in the 60s, is going to beeline towards you in the middle of New Hampshire. I mean, I would hope not. But if it was, that would be very scary. So it was this erratic movement of the flying object that caused Barney to realize this object is not a plane. So they quickly returned to the car and drove towards Franconia Notch, a narrow mountainous stretch of road. The hills claimed that they continued driving on this isolated road, moving very slowly through Franconia Notch in order to observe the object as it came even closer. So then the object passed above a restaurant and a signal tower on top of Cannon Mountain and came out near the old man in the mountain. If you're not familiar with the old man in the mountain, it's literally a rock that looks like an old man's face. It does not exist anymore. It fell apart, actually. I know, it mm. fell apart. Yeah, gravity. Betty then went on to say that it was at least one and a half times the length of the granite cliff profile, which the profile is 40 feet, and that it seemed to be rotating. So one and a half times 40 feet, so 60 feet. That's pretty. That's a pretty large craft. They ended up watching as the silent, lit-up object or craft moved erratically and bounced back and forth in the night sky. And one mile south of Indian Head, they said that the object rapidly descended toward their vehicle. That caused Barney to stop in the middle of the highway because I'm not going to crash into a UFO. The huge silent craft hovered approximately what they had said, 80 to 100 feet above their 57 Chevrolet Bel Air and filled, the nice car. and filled the entire view of the windshield. Large windshield, by the way. I've looked it up, this car. <laughs> <laughs> and it reminded Barney of a huge pancake. What an odd analogy. This giant flying foreign object in the sky kind of look like a pancake, don't it, Betty? Holy flapjacks, Betty. Holy yeah, no, that's just a weird observation. I don't know, but I can't say I, I wasn't in his shoes. On top of carrying binoculars, Barney had a pistol in his pocket. He got that strap. Of yeah. course he did. <laughs> of course, of course. Rule New Hampshire. You, you got to be ready for anything. He stepped away from the vehicle and moved closer to the object with his said pistol. Using his binoculars as well, he claimed to have seen about 8 to 11. I'm not sure where he got 11. I mean, you could just say 8 to 10. That's such a but, yeah. weird range of number uh, okay yeah eight eight to eleven humanoid figures who are peering out of the craft's windows seeming to look at him eight to eleven <laughs> humanoid figures just waving down at you hey maybe he knew it was more than five but it was possibly more than ten possibly one more than 10. but no more than twelve <laughs> he should no more than said. twelve possibly more than ten and absolutely more than five the account seems to go a little a little wacky and I you know I want to give it the benefit of the doubt but there's a lot of detail here Barney goes on to say that in unison all the figures but one moved 
and they moved to a panel at the rear wall of the hallway that encircled the front portion of the craft. So you're imagining a roundabout hallway. And the one remaining figure continued to look at Barney and communicated, I'm guessing telepathically, telling him to stay where you are and keep looking. Barney later goes on to say that he remembers observing the humanoid forms wearing glossy black uniforms and black caps. Pretty much what he's describing here is a, a little league baseball team. <laughs> glossy black <laughs> uniforms? What are you talking about, little league? With caps. With caps. With the black caps. All right, you're right. Was it the Chicago White Sox? <laughs> <laughs> Barney tore the binoculars from his face. He must have had the binoculars in one hand and the gun in the other and decided that he was going to run away back to his car and hysterically told Betty, they're going to capture us. He saw the object again shift its location directly above their vehicle and they got in and drove away at high speed. As they're in the high speed pursuit of the UFO, <laughs> Betty rolled down the window and looked up. Almost immediately, the Hills heard a rhythmic series of beeping and buzzing noises, which they said to have bounced off of the trunk of their vehicle. The entire car was vibrating and tingling, and it passed all the way through their bodies. The Hills said that they experienced the onset of an altered state of consciousness that left their minds dulled. A second series of beeping and buzzing sounds returned the couple to full consciousness. They found that they have traveled nearly 35 miles south, but had only vague spotty memories of this section of road. So there is the old abduction trope of lost time. That loss of time and the distance traveled of 35 miles. So my other thought here is, and I'm not, I'm not trying to immediately discredit this story or anything, but did the UFO also abduct the vehicle? I was just gonna ask you the same question. So did they, like a Chinook, just carry it with their tractor beam through New Hampshire? Or did they check the oil? <laughs> you know, if they were abducted 35 miles north of that location, how did the car make it there? That's really my only thought behind this whole thing is this being the first real account of an abduction. Of course, this all sounds usual. You have the loss of time. You have the lights. You have the becoming conscious in a different place than you previously were. And seeing entities as well. You know, that was another, and telepathic communication. I mean, these are all kind of boilerplate things when it comes to what we know of, like you said, of alien abductions now. Which, if if this wasn't the first abduction recorded or reported, would come off and, and you'd be like, oh yeah, sure. This sounds like the template for every abduction that's ever happened. Which also kind of perplexes me as well, since we got into, at least in the United States, got involved in looking in the UFO conspiracy or checking like we talked about in, in Majestic 12 with covering up UFOs and alien spacecrafts crashing. Wouldn't you think that there'd be a report earlier than 11, 12, 13 years difference there could have been other instances of abductions. Maybe people didn't report them thinking that they would be called crazy or other things of that sort. You got to think 50s, 60s, somebody saying something crazy and wild like that would probably make you some sort of social pariah. In their defense, too, when we had talked about the Roswell incident, that they had quickly covered it up, maybe shortly in that span of under 15 years, people just stopped caring about it. 
This was the first reported case to the Air Force for an abduction. It'd be very interesting to look back if there were, if records existed of accounts like this, but to look between 1947 and 1961 when this was first reported, the time frame between Roswell and this incident, it'd be interesting to see maybe in small towns or local sheriff offices if there were accounts of people coming in and saying, hey, I was taken aboard this ship and some local deputy just chalks it up to somebody being drunk or out of their mind. It'd be very interesting to see if there were accounts that happened, especially in this time frame. I wouldn't be surprised at that scenario at all, because to say that on the books we had been being visited for when they were abducted for, you know, 20 plus years to have not have any abductions reported would be kind of outrageous. I don't know. I just think that's far-fetched. That there would be no no abductions reported? Oh uh, yeah, or at least any yeah, yeah, any at all. If Betty and Barney Hill didn't report this to the United States Air Force and they reported it to Portsmouth police or wherever they were from in New Hampshire, we probably would not have heard about this. Yeah, maybe it wouldn't have been taken as seriously. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So maybe this same kind of occurrence has happened in that time frame or around that time frame and went unreported maybe it was a situation like i said you know a guy comes in he says hey i was abducted by aliens or i was taken up inside this this craft or this ship this is what happened and the local sheriff just looks at him and he goes okay whatever you say joe why don't you get back on the the old whiskey train there and, and head on home <laughs> it's it's very easy during the 50s and 60s to kind of dismiss people like that and any kind of yeah. stories that they may have had. Well, you didn't have uh, Instagram or Twitter or Facebook to make an uproar post about and have everybody know about. So. Portsmouth police is canceled. After they arrived home, the Hill said that they had odd sensations and impulses that they could not readily explain. Betty had said that she had put her luggage near the back door rather than the main part of the house where I guess they normally put it. Their watches were never worn again. Barney said there was a leather strap for his infamous binoculars was torn and he could not recall it being broken. Also, the toes of his best dressed shoes that he was wearing while they were on vacation driving back were scraped. Barney also says that he was compelled to examine his genitals in the bathroom, though he found nothing unusual. Thank God, Barney. That's your first thought? That's extremely odd. That's extremely odd. If you thought you got abducted by aliens, what's the first thing you're going to check? Oh, I'm going to check to see but if my balls are there. At that point, were they positive that they had gotten abducted by aliens? They had just gotten home. No, they had just gotten home. They had some weird sensations in the car. They saw some weird shit in the sky. but A little time loss. I don't know if at this point they were completely sold that they had been abducted. So to, to get home and be like, fuck, I got to check out my junk. I don't know. <laughs> He found nothing. Obviously, if you were to come home from a weird experience, take a long shower to try to remove possible contamination. And they each actually drew pictures of what they observed. They were completely perplexed to reconstruct the chronological events of what they had witnessed with this UFO and even the drive home. But immediately after they heard the buzzing sounds, their memories became completely fragmented. Hmm. The part about their watches never working again is like that. That's the most compelling out of it all to me, honestly. Why specifically their watches? Their car still worked. A car is much more electromagnetic fields. Uh, yeah. You think that's why the watches weren't working? 
a lot of the proposed drawings, especially if you look at Bob Lazar. You know, we, we talked about Bob Lazar in the last episode, and it comes full circle. Bob Lazar talked about electromagnetic engines or power cells. Anti-gravity propulsion systems, yeah. If that's the type of technology that they had, maybe that disrupted their timepieces, who knows? I guess putting it in the same realm as paranormal, but a lot of, in a lot of these instances, like the zone of silence in Mexico, cameras don't work, phones don't work. And it's got insane amounts of UFO phenomenon that they have taking place there. Clearly, this goes hand in hand with whatever's happening. Later on, Betty goes and she starts putting away the clothes from their trip. And she has this dress that she wore during this entire situation. She notices that there was a tear at the zipper and lining of her dress. And she also notices that there is some sort of pinkish powder that is on the dress. And she goes and she puts it on the clothesline. And later on, she says that the pinkish powder ended up blowing away in the wind. How convenient. The dress was damaged. It had the rip. She ends up getting the dress and she keeps it. And over the years, five different laboratories have conducted chemical and forensic analysis on the dress. Come up with nothing. Like what you were saying with electromagnetism, they said that there were shiny concentric circles on their car that had not been there the previous day. So for some reason, they experimented with a compass. Why? I mean, I, this is 1961, I guess. Like that's, that's like, let's grab the compass and see what happens. And they noted when they were putting it close to these circles that the thing was just whirling, spinning like a compass would if there was crazy magnetic field. That kind of backs up the whole watches not working. I'm no watchmaker. I am not a person who <laughs> who knows how watches work. But <laughs> I would say that electromagnetic fields definitely play a role with messing with compasses and watches. So correlation maybe? On September 21st, Betty called Pease Air Force Base to report their UFO encounter. Through for fear of being labeled as crazy, she withheld some of the details. On September 22nd, the following day, Major Paul W. Henderson called the Hills back for a more detailed interview. Henderson's report, dated September 26th, determined that the Hills had probably misidentified the planet Jupiter. His report was then forwarded to Project Blue Book, the U.S. Air Force's UFO research project. If you haven't heard of Project Blue Book, we had mentioned this in the Majestic 12 episode. It was the project after Project Sign in 1947 and Project Grudge in 1949. It officially started in 1952, conducted by the U.S. Air Force to study UFOs. They were realistically trying to look for if UFOs were a threat to national security. Why, if you didn't think that UFOs existed, if you didn't think that otherworldly off-planet vehicles existed, why would you start an entire government-funded project to determine whether or not these things that aren't supposed to exist are a danger to the U.S. Air Force. It's just a thought that I had about, especially pertaining to Project Blue Book. Kind of sus, if you ask me. Yeah, and it's it's an unclassified project. You can read about it. It existed. It is a verified division of the Air Force. In one hand, you look at the Roswell incident and you look at many other abduction stories or UFO stories. The government will deny, deny, deny but then they'll go and fund these side projects or these sub-projects that are all about investigating UFOs and investigating their threat level. After a couple days of the encounter, Betty went to the library and borrowed a UFO book 
It had been written by retired Marine Corps Major Donald E. Kehoe, who was also the head of NECAP, which is National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, which is a civilian UFO research group. On the 26th of September, Betty wrote to Kehoe, she related the full story, including the details about the humanoid figures that Barney had observed through his stellar binoculars. Betty also said that she was considering hypnosis to help recall what had happened. Her letter had eventually passed to Walter N. Webb of Boston Astronomy and also a NECAP member. Walter Webb goes on to meet the Hills on October 21st, 1961, and he has a six-hour-long interview with them. He's talking to them. He wants to know everything that they remember about the UFO encounter. Barney goes on to say that he had developed a sort of quote-unquote mental block. He suspected that there were portions of the event that he had blocked out of his memory on purpose. He didn't want to remember them. It's obviously something traumatic. From what I had read throughout this whole thing is that Betty recepted the situation or even embraced it more than what Barney had. Yeah, they had very different views. They absorbed the incident differently. There was a little known fact about Betty Hill is that she was an avid science fiction fan. There's a lot of science fiction fans out there, but maybe when it starts getting into psychoanalysis and what she's reading about and what she's watching, maybe there's some sort of parallels there between science fiction and her take on the reality of it. Yeah, so maybe just subconsciously she was less alarmed. Their reactions are very interesting between the both of them. His is almost like sheer panic and can't handle it, and hers is, I gotta find out what happened to me. Yeah, exactly, and it, it was almost as if Barney was in denial, you know? Mm-hmm. When he describes the beings through his account, he goes on to say that they were quote-unquote somehow not human and this guy walter webb he goes on to say that he thought they were telling the truth save for a couple minute details that really weren't pertinent to the story that they were on par with each other and it made sense before we get into the hypnosis betty has a whole account of a series of vivid dreams that she had that continued for five nights about 10 days after the encounter. Never has she ever recalled dreams in such intensity and detail. But then after five nights, they just stopped and never came back. And she just kept thinking about it all day. And she she had mentioned it to Barney and he was sympathetic, not really concerned and, and never really talked about it again. Now in November of 61, Betty started writing down the details of her dreams. And in one dream, this is crazy. Barney encountered a roadblock of men who surrounded their car and she lost consciousness and she fought it to try to regain it. She then realized she was being forced by two small men to walk in the forest in the nighttime with Barney behind her. And she looked back and he had seemed to be in like a trance or like sleepwalking. And he said the men stood about five to five, four inches tall. Oh, so they were me. Um, <laughs> <What> the <fuck>? <laughs> <laughs> they, they were all wearing matching blue uniforms had caps similar worn by military cadets but they appeared nearly human with black hair dark eyes prominent noses bluish lips and they were gray in the dreams betty and barney and the men walked up a ramp to a disc-shaped craft that she said had a metallic appearance once they were inside, they were separated from one another and was told by a man that she called the leader that if she and Barney were examined together, it would take much longer to conduct the exams. So they were separated. Why? Why would that make the time frame longer? Just a side thought. 
Hushling. We'll be right back after this short message. Greetings and salutations. This is Cage's Kiss, the ultimate Cage cast, where we discuss the movies and life of the national treasure, Nick Cage. There are three of us here, and I can't help but notice that none of us are Nicolas Cage. Did nobody call him? What? A Cage cast with no Nick Cage? No, instead of being Nicolas Cage, we're three Nicolas Cage experts, which is the next best thing. I don't think we should admit to being experts. Too late. We are not experts at anything. We are not life coaches, and we are not in any way, shape, or form qualified to give you suggestions on life choices. But Nick Cage is, and he's made hundreds of life choices. Seriously, I cannot stress enough just how much you should not take our advice. But we're experts. No, seriously, we're not experts. Yes, but we will be reviewing his first acting gig as Nicholas Coppola, Best of Times, which features a young and very precious Crispin Glover. And his work in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And his work in My Nightmares. We're experts! What's up, Hushies? It's your buddy, Mystery Mike. I'm just here to remind you that we're going to have a live show November 9th, and we'd love it if you would join us. We'd also appreciate it if you would send us any topics, anything you want us to talk about, any questions you might have about past episodes or future episodes. Stay tuned for next episode, where we'll be giving all the details of the live show, or you can reach out to us on all our social medias, where we'll be posting all the information. And also, Hushlings, thank you. You've made Season 1 for us here at the Hush Hush Society such a blast. Welcome back to the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. Betty continued with her dreams that a new man, similar to the others, entered to conduct her exam with the leader. Betty called this new man the examiner. I mean, he was very suiting. Examiner. Very yeah. 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 What, what, what the fuck else are you supposed to call? <laughs> the diddler? I don't know. <laughs> oh, God, the prober. <laughs> the prober. Yeah. <laughs> And she had said that this examiner had a pleasant, calm manner. Though the leader and the examiner spoke to her in English, the examiner's use of the language seemed imperfect and almost like broken. She had difficulty understanding him. Have you ever talked to somebody with broken English? It's not easy. Many times. The examiner told Betty that he would conduct a few more tests to note the difference between the humans and the craft's occupants, the aliens. He seated her on a chair, and a bright light was shown on her. The man cut off a lock of Betty's hair. He examined her eyes, ears, mouth, teeth and nose, teeth and nose, head, shoulders, <laughs> knees and toes. <laughs> shoulders, knees and toes. <laughs> he shaved trimmings from her fingernails, and after examining her legs and feet, the man used a dull knife, similar to a letter opener, to scrape some of her skin onto what looked like cellophane. He then tested her nervous system, which he thrust a needle into her navel, which caused Betty agonizing pain. This is when the quote-unquote leader waved his hand in front of Betty's eyes, and the pain vanished. Dude, fuck that. They have some sort of... Okay, so now they have... The Force. Yeah, essentially, some sort of... Xanax some sort of power. Some, yeah, it's it, that's... Okay, that's odd. That's good. I, I would just like to say on a side note that if these were my dreams, I wouldn't sleep. I wouldn't <laughs> sleep. The examiner then left the room, and Betty had a little conversation with this leader. She picked up a book with rows of strange symbols that the leader said she could take home with her. She also asked him where he came from, and he pulled down an instructional map dotted with stars. 
was this like a paper map or, you know, like one of those roll up ones that you see in a classroom? Pull on it real quick and the whole thing comes down. (laughs) Oh no, that's when it goes back up. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. It rolls, rolls up, (laughs) puts on the projector, (laughs) turns off the lights. Betty described this map. You said it was like a pull down. She had described it as three dimensional, like they were looking through a window and the stars were tinted and were glowing and the map's material was flat and thin so it wasn't a globe or anything it was almost like pulled down like a projector sheet almost oh no shit Mm -hmm. it it sounds almost like reflective hologram i guess that's what she described it as she didn't shift her position at all while viewing it so we cannot tell if she saw the same three-dimensional view of the whole thing she had just said that this was some said three-dimensional map but she had said that it was approximately three feet wide two feet high and a pattern horizontally was covering most of the map she said that there were many other stars on this map and she could only recall ones connected by lines and a small distinctive triangle off to the left there was no real concentration of stars to indicate the Milky Way or the galactic plane as you would see in the sky, suggesting that they were probably not in a local area. From Zeta Reticuli. Kessel. 12 parsecs. Kessel. In Betty's dream, the men start escorting her and Barney off the ship and some fight breaks out or a disagreement breaks out. The leader then talks to Betty and says that she can't keep the book, of course. They decided that the... Other members of the ship didn't want her to remember anything about the encounter. Betty kept saying, no matter, you know, no matter what you do to me, I'm going to remember this. There's no way that I'm going to forget about this. Her and Barney were taken to their car and the leader said, why don't you, uh, why don't you wait for this ship to blast off? Wait for us to leave. You can take in all the sights. And, uh, they did and then continued their drive. How stubborn of her. (laughs) What do you mean? What do it's you like mean? What do I mean? No. Yeah. No matter what no. you do to me, I'll remember. Why won't you let me keep it? I don't know. Like Mine. if you're in a situation like that, you're you're in no place to argue with these beings. <laughs> That's just my opinion. If you're stabbing me in the belly button, just get me the fuck out of there. I'd be in a corner huddled with my hands over my face. A couple years later, in 1968, Marjorie Fish of Oak Harbor, Ohio, read Fuller's Interpreted Journey, which is a book about this abduction. She was an elementary school teacher and an amateur astronomer, so she's already intrigued about this stuff and looking into it. So she looked into this star map and wondered if it could be deciphered to determine which star system the UFO came from. Assuming that one of the 15 stars on the map must represent Earth's sun, she constructed a three-dimensional model of the nearby sun-like stars. Using thread and beads, she based all the stellar distances on those published in the 1969 Gliese Star Catalog. And studying thousands, like, you gotta be into this thousands of vantage points over several years and only one that seemed to match the hill map was the viewpoint of the double star system zeta reticuli see where we got the name huh 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 dedicated her whole ass life to it marjorie fish ends up sending her analysis of, of the zeta reticuli star system to walter webb and webb looks at it he goes okay he sends the map over to a man named terence dickinson and he was the editor of the popular magazine Astronomy. Dickinson didn't really believe in Fish and Webb's story and how they came to their conclusions, but 
For the first time, the magazine Astronomy invited comments and debate on a UFO report and their opening article in December 1974 issue. For about a year afterward, the opinions page of Astronomy carried arguments for and against Fish's star map. There was one argument that was made by Carl Sagan, popular Carl Sagan, and Steven Soder, where they were arguing that the star map, quote-unquote, was a little more than a random alignment of chance points. So, pretty much saying that Betty was lucky. <laughs> the way that she had drawn it out, and the way that Marjorie Fish had interpreted it. He also said in an episode of the show Cosmos in the 80s that he said without the lines drawn in the maps that the hill map bore no resemblance to the real life map. On the other side of that, David Saunders, who had been in the UFO studies, argued that unusual alignment of key sun-like stars in a plane centered around Zeta Reticuli, first described by Fish, was statistically improbable to have happened by chance from a random group of stars. So essentially arguing Carl Sagan's point, saying this is impossible for her to have figured out that this yeah. is Zeta Reticuli. Yeah, just randomly guessed. To follow that up, in the early 1990s, the European Hipparchos mission, which measured the distances to more than 100,000 stars all around the sun, more accurately than ever before, showed that some of the stars and fish's interpretation of the map were much further away than previously thought. Other research revealed that some of the stars counted by fish were likely to host life and had to be excluded by her own criteria. While some of the stars which have been discounted by fish have been recognized as potential abodes for life, results such as these led fish herself to reject hypothesis in a public statement. The star map is one of the pieces of the story that I find kind of most interesting. She had said in her dream that she didn't really know whether this map was 3D, if it was holographic, if it, you know, so that gives way to the thought of how can you tell depth, something like depth. So if you're looking at something that is a, a two-dimensional map, but is laid out in a holographic 3D dimension way, it's kind of hard to interpret that. Yeah, I could only imagine. So imagine now you're taking that thought that's inside your head or whatever you had a dream of, and then you're describing it to another person or you're drawing it out. But now you're drawing something that possibly be interpreted in 3D and you're drawing it out on a 2D plane. It leaves a lot of room for error and it also leaves a lot of room for interpretation. For Marjorie Fish to go in and look at the drawing and start mapping these things out and basically narrowing it down to it being the Zeta Reticuli system, that's impressive in itself. But again, how much of that is interpretation of a 2D drawing that's supposedly supposed to be 3D and how much of that is just speculation so there's there's just so much to this part of the story and this part of the investigation that is very odd again i think there's a certain percentage of did she just randomly pick you know these star these these star systems out of nowhere did she just draw a bunch of lines and, and dots on a piece of paper and say hey figure this out and marjorie interpreted it as as she did or was there something really to it and it was just misunderstood well for her to 
take a couple years to research it. I mean, she must have looked into it. A couple years isn't just, oh, let's read up on something and talk about it. Yeah. She definitely, being an amateur astronomer, she definitely knew what she was doing in a sense if she had spent that much time on that subject because she was probably enthralled by it and wanted to find out what was going on and where these whatever were from. But then again, for example... If I took a piece of paper and I drew the side view of a car, could you tell from that picture what the front of the car looks like or the back of the car looks like or what the length of the car is or what the width of the car is? Yeah, a lot of it's left to interpretation for sure. Yeah, there's so many details from Betty Hill drawing on a two-dimensional plane that are not accounted for. You wouldn't know unless you knew exactly what make, model, year that car was. Yeah, but she doesn't know the layout of the fucking universe. It's a long shot for her to make an accurate three-dimensional model based off of that picture. Simon hypnotized Barney first. Simon was a psychiatrist from Boston. His recall of witnessing non-human figures was very emotional and punctuated with tons of fear and outbursts, and he was just freaking out the entire time. Barney said that due to his fear, he kept his eyes closed for most of the duration of the abduction and the physical examination done on the ship. Based on these early responses, Simon told Barney that he would not be able to remember the hypnosis sessions until he was certain that he could remember them without being further traumatized. So he pretty much told Barney, yo, chill out. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't imagine that being easy for him, but it is what it is. Under hypnosis, Barney reported that the binoculars strap that he was wearing that night had broken when he was running from the UFO back to his car. He recalled driving the car away from the UFO, but afterwards he felt the urge to pull the car off of the road and drive into the woods completely against his will. He eventually sighted six men standing in the dirt road. The car stalled and three of the men approached the car. They told Barney not to fear them. Although he was still anxious, he reported that the leader told Barney to close his eyes. When he was hypnotized, he said, I felt like the eyes had pushed into my eyes. The six men that he saw were obviously the beings that he is describing which are generally similar to Betty's hypnotic recollection. The beings are often staring into his eyes with terrifying, mesmerizing effects. And Barney's one quote says, Oh, those eyes, they're in my brain. I was told to close my eyes because I saw two eyes coming close to mine, and I felt like the eyes had pushed into my eyes, like you had said. All I see are these eyes. I'm not even afraid that they're not connected to a body. They're just there. They're just up close to me, pressing against my eyes. Dude, that is the wild. <laughs> Freaky shit. That actually sounds pretty terrifying. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The amount of time I said eyes. Wow. <laughs> Barney also said that they were taken onto this disc-shaped craft that we had said, where they were separated, as Betty had described before. He was escorted into a room with three of the men and told to lie on a small rectangular exam table. Unlike Betty though, Barney's narrative of the exam was less detailed as he continued to keep his eyes closed for most of the exam. Craziest part about it, I guess you could say, that really kind of brings into this whole alien abduction theme that everybody is talking about. They talk about it on South Park, the probe. 
I think that was like the first episode. Yeah. Barney had said a cup-like device was placed over his genitals, and he didn't experience orgasm, though sperm had been extracted from him. He said the men also had scraped skin and peered into his ears and mouth. A thin tube, or cylindrical object, was inserted into his anus and then quickly removed. He said somebody else felt his spine and seemed to be counting his vertebrae. Oh my. Barney, Barney, Barney. During this whole encounter, the communication with the beings, Barney said that it seemed to be, quote, thought transference at the time. I guess telepathic communication. Both Betty and Barney stated that they hadn't observed the beings' mouths moving when they had communicated English with them. That's pretty crazy, too. After all of this, Barney recalls being escorted from the ship and taken to his car. In a daze, he watched the ship leave. Barney remembered a light appearing on the road, and he said, Oh no, not again. Imagine, round two, they're back. Don't get comfortable yet. <laughs> oh, jeez. He recalled Betty's speculation that the light might have been the moon, though the moon had set several hours earlier. Betty also went under hypnosis, and her account was similar to the events of her five dreams about the abduction, but there were also little notable differences, uh, mainly pertaining to her capture and release. The technology on the craft was different, the short men had significantly different physical appearance from that of her dreams, and the sequential order of the abduction event was also very different from Betty's dream account. Although Barney and Betty's memories in hypnosis were consistent with each other, they contradicted a lot of the information in Betty's dreams. Betty had exhibited a considerable emotional distress during her capture and examination, and Simon actually ended one session early because tears were flowing down her cheeks and she appeared completely distressed. Simon had also given Betty a, quote, post-hypnotic suggestion, saying that she could sketch a copy of the alleged star map that she later described as a three-dimensional projection similar to the hologram. Although she said the map had many stars, she only drew those that stood out in her memory, and her map consisted of 12 prominent stars connected by lines and three lesser ones that formed a distinctive triangle. She said that she was told the stars connected by solid lines formed trade routes, whereas the dashed lines were less traveled stars. So we're talking about galactic trade routes? I would assume, yeah. Yeah, because it goes outside of solar systems, you know? What do you think aliens trade? Uranium, human fecal matter, <laughs> dogs, People. their dogs. dog. What happened Delcy. to the fucking dog, Barney? What happened to your hot dog? What happened to Delcy, yeah, huh? Where is Maybe the like dog? fuel and resources, water, stuff like mm. that. Gold. Drugs, alien drugs. What I found kind of weird too is that you know barney i mean they weren't considerably of older age when this happened right they were 40s or, or so probably 40s yeah is that only eight years later barney died really like, yeah it, it was i think 1969 or something like that he passed away so it wasn't that much longer can you imagine though if you had been abducted by aliens and you couldn't accept it the toll and stress that would take on all parts of your body oh yeah or in the contrary, what if he died from something that coincided with this abduction, like, I don't know, radiation poisoning? Obviously, they didn't show that he had that, but there was no implants involved in this, or at least they didn't say there was any. But the trade routes part is really a huge thing, because we do talk about the Zeta Reticuli star system 
in previous episode that I believe said entity had crashed from the Zeta Reticuli star system. So if we're talking trade routes and less traveled stars, there's something going on way out there that were either just ants or a part of something bigger to them. I believe that these people got abducted by aliens. That's that's my thing. After the hypnosis sessions, which took place over the course of about six months, Simon speculated that Barney's recollection of the UFO encounter was possibly a fantasy inspired by Betty's five-day-long dream sequence. Simon thought that it was the most reasonable and consistent explanation. Barney rejected this idea, noting that while their memories were consistent in some regards, there were also portions of both their narratives that were unique to each other that they both had some differences in their recollection of the memory. Barney was now ready to accept that they had been abducted by occupants of an unidentified flying object, though he never fully embraced it like his wife Betty did. Though the Hills and Simon disagreed about the nature of the case, they all concurred that the hypnosis sessions were effective. The Hills were no longer tormented by anxiety about their experience and had some sort of mental closure. Mm. It's kind of weird that they disagreed with his findings. Like, they, they were adamant that something happened to them. I just like to put it out there that you can find the audio of these hypnosis sessions and they're wicked interesting. And Check them out. Yeah, I listened to a few. You can also find the star map that was drawn and recreations of it as well if you're into that type of thing. As we've previously said, abductees or uh, people that report UFO sightings or supposed secret government workers that come out as whistleblowers, all these people, they, they really have nothing to gain from coming out with releasing their stories. They're not getting anything special. They're not getting any kind of recognition or they're not getting any kind of money. If anything, it's kind of a detriment to their lives. I have a theory albeit a really fucked up theory about what may have happened to this couple. And I think it kind of dives into a regression of memories, a mental block of memories. I personally think that they, and and this could be completely wrong. Bogus, like the MJ-12 documents. <laughs> exactly, this could be bogus. But I think that what may have happened is they were traveling, they're tired, they've been driving from Canada, they're going back home, and they stop at this rest stop, they're getting Delcy out, they're getting their dog out to go for a walk, <laughs> and where it kind of turns messed up, I think that there may have been some sort of assault that happened to them. You think so? Yeah, so they, they have this recurring thing where they keep talking about these six men and the baseball caps and the six men, you know. I think that they may have stopped at a rest stop and they were being either stalked or they ran into the wrong people. And I think that Betty might have been sexually assaulted. And I think that Barney was a part of it and he was assaulted. And together, they didn't want to remember it anymore. I think that there was some sort of assault. Why is that theory scarier to me than the actual abduction? Because people are fucked up. It's more plausible. Just look at the evidence. No, yeah, you're, you're right. I see what you're getting at, but explain. 
You have Betty's ripped dress. Barney has scuffed up shoes and he's all messed up. You have the broken binocular strap. Dings all up on the car. Is it entirely out of the realm of possibility that this interracial couple in the early 60s is traveling along this road and they pull over to let their little hot dog wiener dog out to use the bathroom. Six men come out of nowhere or they, like I said, they had been following them. They come out of nowhere. They assault Betty. They beat the hell out of Barney and, and do whatever to him. And for the next hour or so of them driving 35 miles home, they're just in complete states of shock that they had just been assaulted. And they have this collective mismemory of what happened just to avoid the shock of it all. The only part of that theory that I question about their memories is that, well, clearly they were assaulted, whether it was human or not. Shoving a rod in somebody's navel and cupping their genitals is clear assault, whether you are gray or any color or from this planet. <laughs> it's So I, I would say the thing that gets me to lean away from that is all the other wacky information. One, yeah, he had said six men in military style uniform, but also where did the eight to 11 humanoid creatures in the spacecraft come from? Also, where did the magnetic anomalies come from? And there was no accounts of them being physically really harmed. So if there was an assault, and he did get his ass kicked, and she did have a sexual assault happen to her, you would think that they would have physical evidence that this would have happened, you know, of a struggle. Okay, think of the time frame. They wouldn't have wanted to say anything about that, probably. You gotta think of the time frame. Think of when the incident happened, when they first went to go report it, which was days later. The time frame yeah. is what I pay attention to. All the other side details... That all can be made up. Like we said, Betty was an average sci-fi sci fan. Could have made up all these. I mean, obviously this was before Star Wars. You didn't have certain aspects to sci-fi. But I think the only thing that compels me a little bit is maybe one, I want to believe that there's something else, whether what, what it's doing is good or bad. But I think it's all the other information that's just strange. And now with all the other information that's come to light recently, especially over the summer, our own government telling us that we have off-world vehicles, not of our own. So it also could put a little bit more concrete towards something otherworldly may have happened to this couple other than just some shitty human thing that we experience on this earth so who knows it's what 60 years ago it's so long and even the way information was perceived and even thought about it's so hard to tell so i get what you're saying with it i just don't understand the magnetic anomalies and stuff like that because if they were assaulted barney bro you had a pistol Mike's theory, which I think is an astonishing one, maybe that's <laughs> why he was very negative towards the situation, very hush-hush towards the situation. Betty was having these crazy dreams, and he just shrugged it off as if she was fucking crazy. If that were the case, and they were assaulted by humans at this rest stop, I'm sure he was ashamed of it, and I'm sure that's why during the hypnosis he was screaming and in fear, and think there's pretty decent parallels on either side of that. Whatever happened to them, there's a good amount of, whether it's audio, or drawings, or even just written evidence of what happened to this couple. You can draw your own conclusions from it. 
Mike has a theory. I have a theory. Frank has a theory. I'm sure you all have your own theories on what could have happened to them and even what the UFO phenomenon really is. To play the devil's advocate and to throw this thought out there, it was said that the Hills had watched Invaders from Mars, which was a 1953 sci-fi flick. And a lot of the things that happened in that film also correlated with a lot of the story that they were telling. Not to mention, apparently a week or two before their accounts, the science fiction TV show The Outer Limits had an episode called The Bolero Shield, and that was about extraterrestrials with really big eyes, and it had to do with abduction. There's a couple things that may have also gone along with Maybe their story, this is how the story was constructed. Maybe this is how the fabrication of what really happened was just blanketed by the sci-fi tropes that they had watched on television. But that's just me playing devil's advocate to it. Of all the abduction stories, this is probably the one that I, I hate to say it, probably the one that I don't find plausible or believable. If they're describing things of science fiction that they just saw, even under hypnosis, that's part of your subconscious, right? You watch that. So who knows if that possibly came out under hypnosis where they're freaking out about space aliens and they just had a earthly horrible encounter on Route 3. Made for a nice, easy subconscious cover up. Definitely could be. All I know is that I won't be able to think of this incident without this potential theory at this point. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you, I Mr. Wasn't, Mike. I wasn't I, aware of I, it you. before, but now if it's ever brought up, I it'll it'll be in the back of my head for sure. Yes, thank thank <laughs> you, Mike, for that. I I have a I have a whole new outlook on the Betty and Barney Hill abduction. Now it's called the Zeta Reticuli Route Three incident. Make your own conclusions. Do your own research. Check it out. Look up. Look down. Look left. Look right. <laughs> look thirty-five miles away from where you're standing. Hushlings, make sure you tune in two weeks from now. We will be having a special debriefing on 2012. It's sure to be a real good one. Did the world end? I don't know. I definitely thought it was Baudu. It's going to be an astronomical conversation. Mark your calendars. Yeah, mark your calendars for December 21st, 2012, everyone. That is not the release date, so don't <laughs> mark your calendars for that. <laughs> We're running a little late. Uh, as always, make sure to reach out to us on all our social medias. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Make sure to head over to our brand new YouTube channel and hit that subscribe button. Ding, ding. You can also find us on our brand new Instagram page where we will be dropping Hush Hush Society apparel. Things that you can wear on your being. Look forward to those new designs. Keep those big black Beady eyes open. Watch for those dapper drippings. <laughs> dapper drippings. It was great to hang out. Very fun. It was great to fly around the universe, get probed, cupped, do all those things that happen. Getting all cupped in up. In the 60s in New Hampshire. Yeah. <laughs> Until next time, Hushlings, thank you for joining us at the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike. And I'm Slick Frank Sanders. Until our next debriefing, remember... The best kept secrets are hidden in plain sight.